0: All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Gonna be talking to a friend of the podcast, getting a Celtics perspective on all the craziness that's happened in Boston. Also, before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We are there. And of course, check us out at LibertyBallers.com. Got tons of season preview stuff going on. The Sixers announced their blue white scrimmage coming up. Uh also a deeper look onto what PJ Tucker's reviews have been so far from teammates and coaches. Uh, so definitely check that out on the website there. But as I mentioned, let's get into some Celtics talk. The Ime Adoka drama still very much alive and well, the Celtics going to be lone- leaning on Joe Missoula to lead the way, getting our perspective from a Boston outlook on things he's been on the pod before going to be doing this again I'm sure throughout the season Mr. Adam Taylor who writes for our SB Nation sister, sister site at Celticsblog.com Adam first off let's go back to last week we had the Emeodoka news coming out that you know he had an extramarital affair and was possibly doing some not nice things with female employees making some unwanted comments uh we haven't got all the details yet through any of the major NBA reporters but when you first heard this Adam that this, I don't want to call it a scandal, but this issue had come up with the organization. What was your immediate thought on what was happening with, with the Adoka thing there? So I woke
1: up at 7 a.m. English time. So that's like 2 a.m. East Coast time. I think the news had broke a few hours before. So the first thing I saw was my phone was light, like just lighting up with notifications. And in my head, I'm like, it, it, it has to be bad. In order for the Celtics to be willing to suspend him for because the initial report was there's a potential for the for the suspension to be a year long. So I was very much on the camp of if you don't know the full story, don't speak on the story. But in order for the Celtics to be willing to suspend a coach that took him to the NBA finals in his first year, instilled this like winner all cast type of mentality into the team, it must be serious. So that was kind of my first thoughts, was just I have no idea what must have gone on in order for them to be considering such a severe punishment.
0: When you when you look at how this is going to impact the franchise, right? Because obviously, you know, you look at the Celtics, didn't start off the year particularly well last season. We're below 500 in December for a short period. And then obviously went on a tear going 28 and 7 down the stretch. But you look at this Odoka thing, how is this going to impact? The big name guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, obviously Jalen Brown had to go through some of that uh, distractions with the KD rumors going on that the Celtics are, are looking at, including him as a package in order to acquire Kevin Durant. When you look at how this is going to impact the high level players for the Celtics, do you think it's going to take them a while to adjust? Or are you just looking at this? And, hey, man, these guys are professionals. They got Missoula coming in right now. They're obviously comfortable with him. He's been on the staff with Adoka, so. Again, they're not stuck in this in this thing that it's an unknown, but do you think that is going to impact their game at all as we start off the upcoming season now?
1: I mean, it's it's a viable concern, right? Like that they had a very good relationship with Udoka. Both Jalen and Jason were quite vocal in wanting him to take assume the role as head coach. Tatum had that relationship with Udoka from their time with Team USA during the Olympics. But on the other hand, Joe Mazzula's been with this team. He's entering his fourth year. He was there during the Brad Stevens era. He was the only carryover into that M.A. Udoka era. So they know like what they're getting from Joe. And this is going to be more about a, a trust, whether they trust the coaching staff, whether they have trust within the organization, trust within each other. And I think that we will see some teething issues. And I do think that Udoka was trying very hard to get... Jason Tatum to be more of an interior player. He wanted him getting downhill, attacking the rim more. And he wanted Jalen Brown being more of that offensive release valve when defense is really bonkered down in the half court. And Missoula might not see things that way. He might be asking for completely different styles of play from these two. And there's going to be an adaption phase. And then there's also the, hey, we came into the season expecting to be contenders. And now all of a sudden we don't know where we are that could be a motivation tool for them to prove that they they got the team to the finals, not Udoka, or it could go the other way and they might be a little bit shy and confident. So it's definitely, um it's a huge variable before we enter the season.
0: The thing with Missoula now, right? Like, again, there's been questions about he did get in trouble for with the law, with some domestic stuff that happened a long time ago, 13 years ago. But people are calling that out, too. Do you think that's going to be a distraction at all as we get through the beginning of the season, which obviously the Sixers play in the Celtics October 18th to kick off the NBA regular season? But when you look at the Missoula stuff, how much of a distraction do you think not only is the Missoula's past, but also the current situation with Adoka going to be going forward?
1: Yeah, it's it's really bad timing, right? You have a current head coach that's suspended and then you have your interim head coach that's coming in with a criminal past, be in college and obviously that was uh, there was issues with violence towards a, a lady while he was in college and I see a lot of people saying, well, hey, that was X amount of years ago. But I think that while Missoula has spoke about it on media day I think he needs to address it more head-on um speak and then be open about you know what he's done to kind of continue his individual growth as a person and to avoid that moving forward I think that's a big thing that could kind of lead some of that media narrative about his history to come to an abrupt ending but at the same time it's definitely an unwanted uh byproduct of that of this whole Udoka situation is the fact that, hey, you're not dealing with one head coach having his issues right now. Both of your head coaches, which is crazy to say, are both in the media for transgressions that have nothing to do with basketball. And it's taking focus away from the basketball court.
0: Adam, what do you think happens with Udoka ultimately? We know he's been suspended for the year. Uh, we don't know, again, what the future holds. But do you think he's going to be back with the organization come time for the 2023-2024 season, or do you think this is going to be the end of the line for him?
1: Yeah, I've got it at 90% that he doesn't come back. Mm. And this is like, again, I don't know the full facts. I don't pretend to know the full facts. Uh, There's part of me that doesn't believe we deserve to know the full facts. This is a private investigation to do with a private matter. But what I do know Izudoka built his ethos, and like he built that ethos, and everything to do with the way he coached his team was about discipline, accountability, and commitment. So when you've been suspended for what can be seen, what could be construed, and again, I don't know what happened, as a lack of discipline and a lack of accountability in terms of understanding your position and what you mean to your players, it's going to be very hard for him to come back, coach the way he did as a, like in his first year and still commanding that respect throughout the locker room. he. A lot of the players during media day, you know, they said they still love him. Eh? Um, there's definitely some form of feeling let down there, and it's going to be very hard for him to come back into that locker room and galvanize them again if he got the opportunity. I see them. Uh, the suspension ending in a termination.
0: Yeah, there was such a good feel. It was such a feel good story for the Celtics, right? Like I mentioned, they were 23 and 24 in December, ended up going 28 and seven down the stretch. Obviously, the Celtics being one of the historical, you know, great franchises of the NBA, making it back to the finals, getting there and, you know, coming pretty damn close to beating the Warriors. Let's be real here. It wasn't like that was a cakewalk for, for Golden State. But looking at this now, even from your perspective, how disappointed were you personally? You cover this team. Obviously, you, you live out in England, but you, you cover this team very closely. Do a great job for us at Celtics blog for SP Nation. When you look at that, how disappointing was it for you to, to hear this news coming out that uh, Udoka is going to be gone for at least a year?
1: Oh, man. It's a gut punch. It's like, um, I try, like, I watch every game twice. Uh, I've spent months defending Udoka. Like, I was quite. I was again I wasn't against his hire, but I did think that a rookie head coach for, for what the team needed at that moment in time was a mistake. So, and then he struggled out of the gate, as you said. So there was a lot of like, um, a lot of hot takes about his his suitability, and he proved to be the best guy for the job. Um, you, I was coming into this season super excited, uh, geared up for a, a finals run or a champ, contending for a chip, and now I'm like, it's very difficult for a a rookie head coach to take a team to that level of success in their first year. And I'm genuinely not expecting Lightning to strike twice. So then I'm like, well, Missoula could be a great coach, but all of a sudden your your ceiling was an NBA finals. Now it could be as low as a second round exit because coaching, you earn your money as a coach during the playoffs when you need to make those adjustments, those subtle tweaks to the rotations. That's where, being a, that's where coaches really shine, and we, we're just not going to be sure that has Missoula had enough time as an assistant, and does he have the same coaching pedigree as what Udoka did? So I'm not, I was quite disappointed and you know, a little bit disheartening as we start getting closer to the new season.
0: Adam, I want to jump into some on-court stuff with you as well concerning the Celtics. We also want to get your perspective from a Boston angle on a Philly team that a lot of people are expecting to be right there when it comes time for the, for the NBA playoffs and the, and the NBA finals. We'll do that after a short break. All right, we're back. Adam, I want to jump into some of the encore stuff. We talked a little bit about the Odoka drama, Joe Mazzula stepping up as a first-year head coach now uh, with the Celtics. But looking at some of the other struggles that have already happened in Boston, right? You had the the Danilo Gallinari signing, signing. He got hurt during Eurobasket. He's going to be out with the ACL injury. And now Robert Williams, the guy who has been the anchor of the Celtics defense, which was lights out like I said, from January pretty much all the way through the rest of the playoffs. He's out now 8 to 12 weeks, still dealing with that lingering knee injury that he had problems with during the postseason last year. When you look at where the Celtics shortcomings are going to be, still bought in a great, very good, I don't want to say great, but a very good player, Malcolm Brogdon, in terms of beefing up the, the point guard position, that was something the Celtics felt like they needed to address, did that, obviously acquiring him from the Pacers. But when you look at what the Celtics have right now and the sentiment, general sentiment around the NBA is that they're dealing with some holes in the front court. When you look at this as a guy who's who's around the team, who covers the team, like I said, religiously and, and knows the organization in and out, when you look at where the Celtics need to be better, not just to get back to potentially an NBA finals, but winning it, what do you look at as some of the issues with that roster right now going into opening night?
1: Yeah, I think the the big man issue is a legitimate concern, especially with Rub's injuries. When Rub was when it was reported that Rub would need that knee surgery, that second surgery, it was a four to six week timeline. After the surgery, the timeline is then eight to 12 weeks. And that's to even return to basketball activities. We're not talking about returning to the floor. That's to begin starting your workouts, getting your fitness right, ramping back up. So you could be looking at the best part of the season or at least 50% of the season where you're without Robert Williams, which leaves your only recognized big men as Al Horford and Luke Cornet. Now, just to put this into perspective for everybody, Luke Cornet was on the main team for the last two years. He got he's been with the G League for two seasons in Boston, got converted into a full time contract towards the trade deadline last year and barely played. Now, this isn't to say he isn't a good player, he can stretch the floor a little bit. He's got solid size. He's good as a drop defender, especially um, around the rim as a rim protector. But he he doesn't strike me as the ideal third big man in a rotation that's contending for a championship. There's going to be some holes there, especially like what made Boston's defense so elite last year was being able to put Robert Williams on a weak side shooter. Argue, like, And they tried to manhunt the worst shooter on the floor to put Rob on so that when Rob helped off from the weak side, there wasn't really a big concern of a kick-out hurting you. And then Rob could protect the rim. He was getting his blocks. He was altering shots. You can't really do that with Luke Cornett because he doesn't have the mobility and the lateral quickness that Robert Williams does. And that becomes an issue then, especially if Al Horford's getting gone, his age is getting up there. He's going to need to sit certain games out. There just isn't another big body there to absorb some minutes and absorb some of the the wear and tear you get through the regular season. So to me, that's the biggest hole in in the entire roster right now is they need one more big body that can give you between eight to 12 minutes a night.
0: You mentioned, you mentioned Al Horford and everybody's favorite former Sixer in Philly. I'm just messing with you people. People do not have (laughs) fond fond memories of, uh, of Al Horford there, but he was damn good for, for the Celtics last season. You you look at during the regular season, he put up 10.2.7.7 rebounds. And in the playoffs, he was great. Put up 12 points. 9.3 9.3 rebounds, played 35 and a half minutes a night, shot 48% from beyond the arc. Uh, again, you mentioned the age is a factor. He's he's 36 years old, uh, going to thirty-seven next June. What are your expectations for him going into this season? Do you think he'll be able to sustain the level that he was at throughout most of last season in the playoffs, or are you expecting him to drop off? Because he's not going to have that safety net now, Robert Williams there. And although he was very good in the pick and roll, A lot of times last year, I'm talking about Horford might be, might see him take a step back. So what are your expectations for him now going, going into uh, his age 37 season?
1: I've got mixed expectations. I mean, coming into last season, Horford had sat for like, what was it like eight, nine months where he was with the funder. He wasn't playing. Then that season went through. Then you had all of the off season. So Horford came into this last past season, fresh. He'd had a, Ton of rest, all of the injuries that guys carry around on a day to day and the soreness, all of that had gone. And it was a fresh season for a fresh body. And I think he reaped the benefits of that. But Udoka kept a very small, very tight rotation from February through to the NBA finals. And everyone there was carrying some form of injury. And I think that that was one of the only mistakes Udoka made once the team turned the corner last season, was keeping such a tight rotation down the stretch of the regular season, and I think the team paid the paid the price. So I'd be expecting Hawford to be able to maintain what he gave you, but maybe not as consistently, unless his minutes are being managed better and he's being given rest days. Now, he said on media day, he's going to play back-to-backs. I'm fine with that, but I also wouldn't be upset with him missing every so many games getting a bit more load management being able to stay fresh as possible because if they play him every game that he's available and they keep him around that 26 to 30 minute mark he's gonna burn out because he's 37 not everybody's LeBron James not everybody's born with this ageless like human body that just refuses to even blink at the fact that they're nearly 40. Most normal people start to their, their athleticism and fitness starts to naturally decline so I think that we should be expecting Horford to at least have his minutes managed. Otherwise, he won't be as impactful as last year.
0: Yeah, Adam, not that I want the, the Celtics to win too many games, but seriously, Al, nobody expects you to play a back-to-back if you're playing the Pacers on the second night. You know what I mean? Just take it easy, yeah. take a day off. Well, I'm up there in age too, and trust me, I, uh, you don't need to be wasting your energy out there with your on your knees and, and taking all that hardship to to play against a team you should beat by 20 points. Let's uh let, Let's pivot here and talk a little bit about the rest of the Atlantic Division and the Eastern Conference. Obviously, this is a 6 podcast. Expectations are sky high in Philly in terms of where this team could go, obviously making the additions that they did in the offseason. And people are very happy with the fact that, look, James Harden took $15 million less, roughly. That enabled the team to sign a guy like P.J. Tucker, who's drawing rave reviews so far at training camp in terms of from his teammates and coaches for how vocal he has been. They bought in a proven NBA talent, Daniel House, bought another proven guy, a young guy in D'Anthony Melton, only 24 years old. Both those guys able to shoot the rock from outside, create some offense, and also play a lot of good defense, which this, the Sixers had issues with depth last year when Matisse Thybul and George Niang were their sixth and seventh men. You knew that this was going to be an uphill battle for a team led by Joel Embiid and Harden to be able to compete with the Bostons and the Milwaukee's of the Eastern conference. When you look at the Sixers from a Celtics perspective, what are your thoughts going into this season in terms of what you're expecting, expect, expect part of me expecting from Philly?
1: Yeah, I'm scared. Um, That's it, good. Adam, it, it, we
0: want to hear that. That's what we want to hear. You <laughs> know,
1: what's funny to me is I think it was le- less than 24 hours before the, the Anthony Melton signing. I was on the Celtics blog podcast urging, begging the front office to find a way to bring the Anthony Melton into Boston. I'm a huge fan of what he brings as a two-way guy. I think that he's still got some growing to do. There's still some potential there for him. I don't mean growing as in physically getting bigger, taller, but I mean like potential. He, he can still grow into a better player. Uh, I think that's going to be an underrated addition. Like you said, Fible is a good defender, but he's only going to give you one sided ball, whereas the Anthony Melton's going to give you both. Daniel House is fantastic. PJ Tucker is obviously like that headline pickup for you guys. The one thing I don't buy is that Harden lost 100 pounds.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: not buying it, not having it. That's cool though. You can say what you need to, Mr. James Harden. <laughs> I, I do think that the, there's better depth there now. I think that you guys have had a, you've had your two main guys in Harden and Embiid together long enough now that they understand their favorite spots, how to play together, and more importantly, how to play off of each other which I think is always an underlooked aspect when you've got tandems like two guys or a big three. Uh, I'm scared. And I'll tell you, I spoke to former Celtics player, semi or uh, about a week ago, maybe two. And the last question I asked him during an interview was which team scares you the most? And which team, which team do you see winning in M- the NBA this year? And his answer both times was Philly.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, wow. I mean that, you know what? And that is, that's what Sixers fans want to hear because I'm looking at this too, Adam. And I think you're in the same boat when you're looking at covering a team like the Celtics. And I'm doing that with Philly here is that nobody really cares if they win 45 games in the regular season and get in as the sixth seed or have to go into the play. And obviously that wouldn't be ideal, but people also don't care if they win 65 games and lose in the second round. It's all about the championship this year. And I think you're, you're looking at the, the Phillies, the Boston's, the Milwaukee's, um, There's nothing really, there is no other expectations. Not like, Hey, we're looking at building like for the, a team like the Memphis Grizzlies in the West, it would be, Hey, we maybe get to a conference finals or a finals. It's, it's looked at as a pretty successful season because we're showing progress, right? Obviously with the roster that a team like Memphis has, that's young and another team out West is the New Orleans Pelicans, right? They, they're looking pretty good. Zion should be back in the lineup. You know, if all things go well between now and, and, and the season opener where again, making a second round, for the Pelicans, it's considered a success. When you look at the Sixers, and again, talking from a Boston perspective, where do you put the two teams? Who, who do you have right now as the better squad? We haven't seen them play a regular season game yet, not even a minute. But when you look at the rosters and you look at all things considered with the organizations, who do you have as the better team right now, in your opinion, at a Philly and Boston?
1: Oh, man. You put me on a Philly podcast and asked me this question. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, your mentions r- might not be too kind if you say
1: Boston here, Adam, but that's okay. <laughs> I know. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. So first things first, I'm going to assume that both teams are at full health, which is almost impossible, but we're going to do it just for argument's sake. And I'm not going to answer your question directly, but I'm going to try and do it as best as I can. So at the big at the center position, Embiid wins against whoever Boston have to pull out there, right? Yeah. Then. I'm ass- like, so I, I didn't watch a lot of Philly last year. So at the four, you guys are playing, are you guys playing Tobias Harris at the four?
0: I think you're looking at the, it'll be interchangeable. Basically it's going to be the, the starting lineup's going to be, like I said, Embiid, Harden, and Maxi, and then lo- looking like Tucker and, and, and Harris. And I think those guys will kind of interchange just depending on, on the opponent and, and, and that night's matchup.
1: Yeah. So I think that, I think Boston has the advantage, assuming Jason Tatum plays the four Boston have the advantage at the four. They probably have the advantage at the three. You guys have the advantage at the two. And then it's questionable who has it at the one. I'm going to say if they were to play, it would be a seven game series, but I would take Boston in seven.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, like I said, and uh, if you guys do want to reach out to Adam, feel free to reach out to him. You can, you can tweet at him. <laughs> That's Adam Taylor, <laughs> Adam NBA. Taylor NBA. And you're more than welcome to jump into that with you. Uh, Look around the rest of the Eastern conference. And, I, and I, as a hoops fan, Adam, I'm looking at this season as it's just, it's exciting because you remember that time, you know, what, 2015 through 2019, we knew the Warriors were, were going to be there. We knew the Cavs are going to be there majority of that time. Obviously LeBron had left to LA for that 18, 19 season, but you kind of knew which teams were going to be there at the end of the playoffs and Houston with James Harden uh, there when he was averaging 35, 36, a game was another team that obviously came very close to, to beating that stacked Warriors squad with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. But now looking at this and you know even in the Eastern Conference you look at this. We've talked about Boston and Philly. Milwaukee potentially a Chris Middleton injury away from getting back to the finals last year. Miami going to be very good again bringing back virtually the same squad minus Tucker but have, you know, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Uh you look at the Brooklyn Nets who we thought would be an afterthought coming into this season but now still have that core of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and a healthy Ben Simmons coming up, too. Uh, Cleveland acquiring Donovan Mitchell in the offseason, adding him to their young guys of Evan Mobley, uh, Darius Garland. So, uh, Jared Allen, that's another stack squad there, too. And Atlanta, a playoff team the last couple of years, also bringing in DeJounte Murray. When you look at the East, who are your top four right now there in the conference?
1: Yeah, so I've got Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia. And then, I mean, I, f- I feel like Miami should be there, but I honestly believe Miami have stagnated this off season, so it's really hard for me to put them there. So I'm going to go over wildcard wild card, and I'm going to put Cleveland there.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't like know. The, that, I, like the I don't KFC. know if that's fair,
1: but I just think that Miami have stagnated. I, that they had a big issue with creation last season, especially like a self creation outside of Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero. There wasn't really anyone there that could go get you a bucket or go create for somebody else, and they haven't addressed that plus they lose one of the best veteran free and D dudes in the league in Tucker, which goes over to Philly. I just don't see how they've improved. I don't see how they've even stayed the same because it's already an old roster and everyone's got that one year older. So yeah, I, I put Cleveland there just because I think Cleveland are going to be really, really fun this year. And I'm, they might not be a top four team in the East, but they're definitely going to be making a lot of noise.
0: Yeah. The Cavs were Pretty much in the top top five or six throughout most of the regular season until they start dealing with those injuries, and Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley there at the end. So, again, those guys, if they can stay healthy and you, and you add Donovan Mitchell to that squad, I agree with you. I, I think the Cavs are definitely going to make some noise alongside the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Sixers at the top of the conference. And you still got the Raptors, the Bulls, like I said, the Nets, the Hawks. Uh, I think Charlotte, I think pretty much the same 10 teams that were in the playoff and and postseason picture last year in the East are going to be back there again this year. I don't expect the Knicks, the Wizards, obviously the Pacers are going to stink. I really like what Detroit and Orlando are doing, but they're still a year away from being a year away in terms of what their young core. So, again, I don't know how those top 10 are going to finish. I'm with you, though. I do think the Sixers, the Bucks and the Celtics are at the top of that heap. And then who knows what's going to happen really between four and 10. What about out West, Adam, looking at, at, at the teams we have out there, obviously we've heard a lot about how the sun seemed like it was basically like a funeral at their media day. Uh, Deandre Ayton's drama with Monty Williams dealing with, they're doing with, with the Sarver stuff. Uh, you got the defending champs with the golden state warriors did lose some depth guys like Otto Porter, not coming back. GP two, obviously gone, but uh, I'm, I'm sure Steph will have that team right back in the playoff picture. And Clay Thompson Another year getting, you know, kind of get acclimated again to, to being back to hopefully back to what he was pre those two devastating injuries that he had, and then the Memphis Grizzlies. So, again, a John Moran injury away from potentially beating the Warriors in round two. When you look out west, uh, and I'm, I've even skipped over the Clippers who are going to have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back at full health as well. Is there any team out west that you look at or the top two or three that you're like those teams are head and shoulders above the rest?
1: Yeah, I think the Clippers have been very patient, very um well structured in their in the way they've approached their last few years where they've had the Kawhi injuries the pg-13 injuries and i think they're going to reap the rewards for that this year that that team's scary you know they added robert covington last season i think uh i think they're going to be top one top two teams in the west obviously the golden state warriors we can just leave them there it's the warriors they lose a few players but then they have Kuminga, they have moody they have mm-hmm. wiseman they, they, you know they've got young guys with ridiculous upside that are still coming through jordan paul's gonna probably take another another step towards becoming steph curry mark too as well so you know the golden state warriors and then i'd be interested to see how much the memphis grizzlies improve because the good thing about the grizzlies similar to the Cavs, is their team's young so every year even if they don't make uh, a big splash in free agency or bring in x y and z via a trade they have bucket loads like heaps of internal development they can fall back on and that's going to be huge for them so i think that those those three teams are my top three in the west right now yeah and I, I, I'm, I, I'm, go ahead oh, sorry go on. i was going to say the reason i'm not including phoenix is because everything doesn't seem to be okay in that locker room right now and i think that's going to play a part of how they how their season goes
0: yeah, I think that's going to be kind of the drama-filled team of, of this NBA season, too, is, is the Suns. That I'm with you, even though they have a great leader in Chris Paul, obviously Devin Booker there, too. I think that Ayton thing is, is going to rear its ugly head at some point. Uh, obviously, there's some friction there between him and the head coach. And again, uh, DeAndre Ayton to me, is, is one of the top five centers in the league pretty easily. Uh, so, again, that's something to keep our eye on. But then another team we didn't mention, too, Adam, interesting, the Denver Nuggets, right? They got Nikola Jokic. They're going to have Michael Port Jr. back. Um, Jamal Murray back. That's going to be another team. And I like them, their addition of KCP as well. Uh, Although Philly fans are going to laugh at the fact they signed DeAndre Jordan. Don't know what the hell they were thinking there. But uh, again, I do think the Nuggets are going to be a force to be reckoned with uh adam let, let's wrap things up here i want to thank you for joining me as always you come on the pod many times before and we're looking at launching a new atlantic division kind of mixtape show that we're going to be doing so looking forward to working alongside you and and, and doing a deep dive on uh, not only at the atlantic but the rest of the nba as we get into towards opening night which is coming up october 18th
1: awesome thank you for having me man
0: all right that's adam taylor he writes for our Sister site at Nation You can check them out as we mentioned on Twitter at Adam Taylor NBA. If you want to check me out, I'm at jazzkang Twenty One. That's J A S K A N G Twenty One. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Like I said, we're gonna to have tons of stuff coming at you on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. uh Josh Reynolds, who just joined the podcast team, he'll be out with his pod on Thursday. Sean, of course, with the Talking About Podcasts on Friday. And we're gonna have a bunch of previews for you. Uh, Jackson Frank, Paul Hudrick, and I will be starting our regular Wednesday live streams. And as I mentioned, myself, Adam Taylor, as well as Chris Melholland, who writes for Nets Daily, uh, going to be taking on this new project doing the Atlantic Division mixtape. So tons of exciting stuff on the audio front. Like I mentioned, subscribe to the network. Always appreciate a five-star review. And don't forget to check us out on our next episode coming up on Thursday. I'll be back in the hot seat again on Wednesday as well.